in a teaspoon of soil about as many bacteria as there are people on the earth. <laughs> okay. And as long as there's lots of carbon, they'll keep that nitrogen tied up in their little bodies. And until they've used up the carbon and they start to die off, that nitrogen doesn't get released. You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 104, brought to you by Vessi Seeds. Well, folks, today we've got soil scientist Keith Reed here with us. He's the author of the book, Improving Your Soil. Um, the subtitle would be A Practical Guide to Soil Management for the Serious Home Gardener. Uh, the, the title on the back, which I think summarizes the book best, Better Soil Equals Better Gardens. Why is that on the back, Keith? Did you, uh, is that the title you we, thought of? We, we, we shall never try to delve into the minds of marketing <laughs> gurus. Uh, that should have been the title of the book. Yeah. Um, so this is the, I think the third time I've had Keith back this podcast, you know, I sort of do things in season. So 2020, so the third time I've had Keith on. I've had him on three times, not because his publisher has given me any money or promised me anything, not because he's given me any money or promised me anything. <laughs> um, I asked his publisher for a copy of the book. I read the book. It's such a good book. If you buy one gardening book this year, buy that one because better soil does equal better gardens. You look at my garden all the time. You think it's because I've got some special ability. I've got good soil and I've got good soil because I'm doing the kinds of things uh, Keith's suggesting in the book, and constantly trying to improve my understanding. I don't know everything. Constantly working on my understanding of how soil works, soil organisms work, soil systems work, and there's still so much to learn. I haven't got it all figured out. So we bring Keith back because he knows more than me, and he's worth putting the questions <laughs> to. We can learn a lot from Keith. Um, and I'm so, always happy to try to answer the questions. <laughs> uh, so uh, Keith, uh, I guess, I, you know, because people might be new, I've picked up a lot of viewers this year. Um, why don't you just give people a very quick rundown of, of your sort of credentials, why people should uh, listen to you and, <laughs> as an expert in the field. Okay. Uh, yeah, been a soil scientist, uh, I guess, going back to being raised on a farm and then uh, formal education uh, in soil science at the University of Guelph. Uh, and, Ontario. Uh, Guelph, Ontario, yes. Uh, the, uh, and then worked... Actually, I've worked in agribusiness, uh, managed a fertilizer plant for a while. Again, people will say, well, that's terrible. Well, sometimes we need fertilizer. Uh, I've worked uh, for the 22 years of the provincial government, now nine years of the federal government as a soil scientist, dealing with uh, the soil nutrients in, in various aspects. And all the, all the way along, have been a gardener, everything from a, a modest horticultural operation on my own farm to uh, when we moved into town just uh, perennial gardens in, in the backyard in town. Uh, and, uh, you know, avid reader, I have worked on learning more about the soil. We'll never know it all. There's far, far more than we could ever completely understand, but we're, we're getting a little, little bit of an understanding. Yes. <laughs> and, and one thing I found is every gardening book you read, uh, the author writes about the soil by what's in their backyard. And so it's right for their backyard and there's such a variety of soils across the continent that it's wrong for everybody else. <laughs> and, and really that was, that was what I tried to do with, with writing the book is say, you got to know what you're dealing with and then manage accordingly. And yes. uh, you know, there's some basic principles and a lot of it is applying those basic principles in a very specific context that you've got in your own, in your own yard, in your own garden. 
That's a really good perspective to take. I mean, my, my YouTube channel and my podcast is called the Maritime Gardening um, Podcast. And uh, the original um, creator that I started the thing with, he came up with that name. I had no background in any of this, so I just went with it. I regret, I mean, I'm stuck with it now. That's, I'm Maritime Gardener, <laughs> but, but it's really not, you know, I, I oftentimes in videos, because if I say something will work, someone in another part of the world will say, well, that doesn't work for me. Well, of course not. You get more sun, you get more heat, you get less sun, you get less heat. Your soil is different. The, the rainfall is different. You know, there's all kinds of different reasons. So I'll try to, without getting, you know, going down too many rabbit holes in a difficult <laughs> video, try to sort of add those disclaimers or, you know, caveats that, you know, this may or may not work depending on where you are. You have to adjust this thing up or down and so on and so forth, right? Um, you, you have to understand your, your microclimate, your conditions where you are and, uh, you know, make adjustments. You know, you stick with general principles, but you, you have to adapt to your situation because you can't affect your situation other than moving. Um, and I should say to people listening in that are, um, you know, you sort of, you know, you work for a fertilizer company. If you are an organic gardener and you read this book, you will love this book. Okay. So don't think that uh, it's going to be from one perspective. Keith is a scientist. He's talking about chemicals, soil life, organisms. If you are an organic gardener, you want to be a better organic gardener. Read the book or listen to the podcast at the very least. <laughs> you will not be sorry. You'll be a better organic gardener if you add this information to your your little mental lexicon, right? Um, so I should also say like, uh, you know, you're, so you're in Guelph, um, how is the, uh, how's the fall going there? It's starting, we're getting some pretty good frosts now. Things are starting to get kind of cold here. Had to almost scrape the window off this morning in the car. We, we've had a few uh, mornings where there's been ground frost. We haven't had a hard freeze yet. Uh, the, the people waiting for the, uh, the ragweed to get frozen off are still sneezing. Right. Uh, we, we haven't had that real killing frost yet. Uh, they're talking maybe some wet snow in the next couple of days and then warming up for Halloween. It's, uh, it's, it's been a not bad fall. We, we had a warm summer. Uh, we've had some decent weather this fall. Uh, not a lot of rain, but enough to, to re-wet the soil and, uh, and get things sort of perking along under the, uh, the ground. It was pretty dusty at the end of the summer and uh, right. it's been nice to see some moisture. I'd be curious, you know, I don't know if you grow, a real indication for me of the change in the season is I grow kale and Swiss chard. And they're both kind of tough plants, but kale's tougher than Swiss chard. And for me, the turning point in the fall is when the Swiss chard... The, the chard, goes, chard goes black and the kale stays green. Yeah, the chard kind of liquefies and just turns into this green black mush sort of thing. Yep. So I, I'm, you know, I still got some Swiss chard in the garden and... Uh, still okay. I haven't checked it today. It was really cold this morning and it's cold now. So, um, but I think that's a good sense of like where everybody's season is. When is the, your Swiss chard give up? The, the season is turning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So today we're going to talk about one chapter in Keith's book. Um, this is a, I love the way it's written. It's not a particularly long chapter, but it's really to the point. Uh, it's chapter 10, and it's uh, called Soil Life uh, and Organic Matter. And it, it kind of looks at all the different, I mean, it looks at different types of organic matter in your soil. But the main thing that really stuck with me in the chapter was Keith created a kind of taxonomy of the different living things that are in the soil in terms of what they do 
to the organic matter in the soil. Um, so, I mean, that's, you're not a biologist, you're a gardener. So it's, instead of understanding it's phyla this and family this and the way a biologist would want to understand it, you're understanding those life forms in terms of their relationship um, with the organic matter in your soil, which is what affects your plants. Um, so, you know, I thought we'd sort of just run through some of the main content in the chapter. We got the author right here. Um, you should read the whole book, but you know, this is a good little excerpt. We've done two other videos with Keith. I'll put links to those at the end of this video. Definitely worth a listen and lots of little excerpts and stuff like that too. Um, so the first part was um, organic matter in the soil, the living, the dead, the very dead. <laughs> uh, and and I'll, sure. And, and I'll say right off, I, I can't take credit for being the originator of that term. That was Fred Magdoff at uh, the University of Vermont. Right. I'm sure he's, he's uh, uh, been well known in the, in the field of organic matter for decades. Uh, who, who coined that term, but it did and very nicely in the book as well. Yeah, it, it very nicely encapsulates, you know, what we're dealing with. Uh, right. Maybe five or 10% of what of the organic matter in the soil is what's living. You know, that, and, little. Uh, that little, right. You know, a lot of it is, is the dead and the very dead. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, you know, that that's, where the activity happens, that's where things are turning over because that is the living part. Right. You know, and, it, and it might, you know, that's everything from a groundhog down to a virus. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't necessarily want groundhogs in our, our, our garden, but that's part of the life in the soil. And, right. and more often it's the, uh, you know, we think about the, the beetles and the, the pill bugs or, or uh, wood lice, whatever you, you want to call them, you know, the, uh, the earthworms and then down to the, fungi and the actinomycetes and the bacteria. No, that's the living part. They're the things that are, are making things happen. They're, you know, uh, the dead, really, that's the newly dead, that's, that's the, uh, the plant residues, that's the, uh, or the uh, living stuff that's died. Uh, that's the fuel that the living part uses. Right. Uh, that's really the preferred food. You know, if something's going to get cycled through, it's going to be that freshly dead stuff first. Right. You know, that's, that's what's going to be tastiest. That's what's going to be easiest to digest. That's what they'll work on. Right. Um, and the processes that happen on, on the, the newly dead stuff are incredibly important because that's where the nutrient release happens. Right. You know, we've stored up nutrients in living material. It gets recycled back by, by the, uh, the living part, but it's chewing on that, uh, that newly dead stuff. Right. The very dead, you know, and I know there's, there's soil scientists who, who argue about, oh, should we categorize it as just a continuum, but I like to think of it, the very dead is the stuff that's been broken down. It's, uh, the, the term we use is humified. It goes from being brown to being black. Mm. Uh, they're very complex uh, molecules, uh, very resistant to degradation, uh, you know, for a, uh, you know, a typical microbe that's got a choice between, you know, put it in human terms, eating a steak dinner and eating shoe leather, the newly dead is a steak dinner, the very dead is a shoe leather. Okay. <laughs> if you're starving, you'll eat it. You might get a little bit out of it. You don't get very much. It's not easy to digest. Right. But that very dead is what maintains the nutrient holding capacity of the soil, 
the water holding capacity of the soil uh, is a lot of the glue that holds the soil structure together. Are there nutrients in the very dead? There are nutrients in the very dead. Right. Um, as you go down, you know, down the chain, the carbon, the amount of carbon is going to go up, the amount of phosphorus, nitrogen, potassium is going to go down. Uh, there will still be some, but not as many as in the, the newly dead, because in the, in the newly dead, that's the stuff that will get cycled through and get taken back up by plants or used by the microbes in the soil. So if I, let's say I go out in my garden and I use, I pee, I use a bathroom on my soil. <laughs> Am I adding newly dead or very dead to the soil? Well, actually. Or neither. <laughs> yeah. If you pee in the soil, you're essentially adding urea. Right. Which or is uric, uric acid or ammonia. You're adding ammonia. nitrogen. Right. No. So that's uh, it's, neither. It's, you know, when, when you pee in the soil, you're adding soluble salts. That's it. That's you know, you're, There's really not much organic in your pee. There's no organic at all. Uh, you're you're essentially adding fertilizer. You're adding fertilizer. So I'm, I'm trying. That, that's well, why. Well, no, you're, that. you're actually saying it's it's the same elements as in fertilizer. That, that's why I'm using that analogy. <laughs> sort of, you know, trying to cross the bridge for some of my right. viewers. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I was, you, choosing, you, uh, I was going to say miracle grow, but I thought, well, if I just go, you know, pee out there. So it's yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah. But if you pooped in the soil, the poop is a lot of, very, of newly dead stuff. That's newly dead. I see. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, a fair bit of living stuff, too, but uh, a lot of newly dead. So, right. uh, you know, readily degraded organic compounds. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's why livestock manure is, is, you know, used in farming because it's, food for those microbes it's got uh, stuff right. that's easily broken down and uh, you know adds to their that cycling in the soil so when you so i guess to to make the analogy more more contrived if i <laughs> had some miracle grow and mixed it with some water and added it i'm not adding anything that those microorganisms are going to use i'm adding something that only the plants can use i'm i'm adding what the microorganisms make out of the newly dead for the plants, is that um, not completely? Not completely. Okay. Not completely. Not completely. If it's like a you know a, a twenty 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 miracle grow, say okay. so twenty percent nitrogen, twenty percent phosphorus, twenty percent potassium. The potassium that's a mineral form. It's going to stick to the soil. It really uh, the the microbes will use it if it's there, but it's oh, not. There's lot. There's lots generally in the soil. Right. Uh, same with the phosphorus, and the phosphorus will tend to get bound up on on the soil particles anyway. The nitrogen, if you've been adding, say, corn stalks, you know, had sweet corn that was done for the season, or you turned a bunch of, uh, you know, maple leaves into the soil in your garden that are a lot of carbon, yeah. not a lot of anything else, but lots and lots of carbon. Yeah. Uh, those microbes in the soil, they are short of nitrogen and they've got lots of carbon. Right. They need nitrogen to be able to utilize the carbon. They're right. limited. The amount they can grow is limited by the amount of nitrogen. So you put, a, you put a soluble nitrogen fertilizer in the soil and there's lots of carbon there. They will grab that. They will use it so they can grow and eat more of the, uh, the carbon materials. Right. So they would... Oh yeah. So that that is something they would. Uh, how would they normally get nitrogen in the absence of you using that miracle grow? 
uh, from the newly dead sort of thing. From the from the newly dead, and and that's 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 actually one of the issues run in, we run into. There's always a certain amount of mineral nitrogen in the soil. Right. You know, nitrate or ammonium, they they cycle back and forth. Um, you know, and that's that's from yeah that newly dead or somebody's, you know, killed off a, a legume crop and the, the nodules are there and releasing nitrogen into the soil. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is mineral nitrogen in the soil. The microbes will use that and use that to be able to utilize the carbon. And all the time they're using that that carbon material, they're they're growing, they're respiring. You know, they're turning carbohydrates, sugars into uh, carbon dioxide and water. Uh, so carbon's leaving the system as carbon dioxide as the microbes, uh, you know, break it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the rate is limited by the amount of nitrogen in the soil. Okay. And and we we see lots of people who say, oh, I'll, I'll be good to the soil. I'll, I'll get, you know, I'll get some leaves. I'll get some straw. You know, it's it's lots of organic matter. I need more organic matter in my garden. And they'll work that in, thinking, okay, I have to work it into the soil. I have to, you know, mix it in well. And uh, and then they try to grow potatoes or sweet corn or tomatoes. And they look pale yellow and they look sick and they do not do a darn thing because you've got, In a teaspoon of soil, about as many bacteria as there are people on the earth. <laughs> okay. And, you know, so every teaspoon of soil, you've got that many, many microbes. They're there. They're saying, there's carbon here. We can grow. And we'll grab all of that nitrogen and we'll use it for our growth. Mm -hmm. And as long as there's lots of carbon, they'll keep that nitrogen tied up in their little bodies. Right. And until they've used up the carbon and they start to die off, that nitrogen doesn't get released. Right. So you got to be careful when you add organic matter, you don't go overboard. Is that um, why, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but it always <laughs> seems to be the case. So, I mean, the way I tend to add organic matter to the soil is I just put it on top. I don't till it in. It's just on top. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, it seems logical to me that the soil organisms are, are taking they're acting on it at a rate that's that's more sustainable because yep. the, the the very soil surface there's some sort of exchange of nitrogen there, but all the soil that's below there that that nitrogen is really unaffected by the stuff that's on top to, to yep. some extent. Really, really, that it's only the carbon right at that interface. Yes, that's available to the the microbes or the the uh, the uh, life in the soil, and so yeah, if you put if you put a, a high carbon mulch on the surface. You're not going to see the same effect, right? Yeah, it might, maybe the first centimeter is depleted to some extent, but yeah, yeah, you know, beyond that, it, it's pretty normal. And That's and right. and the amount of, you know, uh, if you like priming or or increase in the microbial growth is going to be limited because you don't have the physical contact. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a slow. Yeah. Well, it's it's happening the way it would happen any otherwise. You know. Yeah. The, the way the way it would happen on the forest floor, the leaves yeah. fall. You have a mulch on top that slowly breaks down and the activities at that interface. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so that's the living, the dead, and the very dead. Now, the meat of this chapter. Um, you did this great section. I like the categories here, the types of organisms by, 
I, I would say by my interpretations by function. By function. Yes. So uh, yeah, let's get started. So the first of these was the the shredders. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that you think about making materials available to to the uh, the small organisms in the soil. Uh, you you put a uh, you know a bean stem or a uh, you know a potato leaf uh, you know or you add maple leaves on top that's huge compared to the size of most of the organism in the soil yes so uh, and there's very very little surface area and and a lot of the rate things happen depends on how much surface area you've got where things are, are going on so I guess yeah got, a leaf to so some of these things a leaf would be like a sheet of plywood exactly so, yeah 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 uh, or, yeah, take it to a human analogy. You've been handed a whole cow to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to eat a whole cow. You want no. to cut down into, you know, bite-sized pieces. Yes, exactly. You know, so, something that's accessible. Uh, and that's really what the shredders do, is they're, they're the ones that go in and, and do that first sizing it down to, to smaller pieces. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and you're right. I'm, I'm not a biologist. I know a bit of biology, but no, enough biology to get by. I'm not a biologist. I'm certainly not a taxonomist. Right. Uh, I, I also know there's far, far more variation in, in what particular species will do those functions in different areas. Right. And the important thing is understanding, well, yeah, what is, what is the function? What do they do? So you've got the larger soil, soil animals, uh, that will take the big pieces and break them down into smaller pieces. So it's like so, a couple, maybe three examples of that. Yeah. So uh, the obvious one is the earthworm. Yeah. You know, uh, and yeah, we'll get back to in more detail to different types of earthworms later. But yes, you know, yeah. what a big part of what they do, you know, they will, uh, particularly the larger earthworms, you know, they'll right. grab a leaf, they'll chew chunks off the leaf and uh, you know as it passes through their body it gets ground down into smaller pieces right and they they digest some they get some nutrition out of it but a bunch of the the nutrients that were in that that leaf that they ate go at the back end oh like a good example would be like a cow like a, the grass goes in the cow and when it comes out of the cow it still kind of looks like grass yeah the cow gets bigger so the cow's getting something but there's a lot yeah, of grass left there's over. there's a lot of, lot of grass left over yeah right would a uh, slug be another kind of shredder a slug or a snail would be a shredder yeah. uh, this was yeah. a, a key they, thing when i read this book is you know a lot of gardeners we hate slugs we hate snails we watch them destroy our stuff and reading this chapter and i it may have i may have come across this idea that they break down stuff before but it really got me understanding the role the slugs and snails play in the soil because we always just think of them as this problematic pest, but I didn't really understand that they're, they may be as important as earthworms in terms of breaking stuff. They don't just eat living stuff. They eat all, there's all kinds of different slugs and snails and that they eat kind of whatever they can get their hands on and they eat a lot of stuff that we don't see them eating. That's right. Yeah, they, and you know, slugs especially, they like to be underneath. You know, yeah, hidden, they don't want to hide. Hidden from sight. You know, they only, and yeah, they'll come out at night when we, we provide them with a, a banquet of, of, of really nice stuff to, uh, yeah. to chew on. Uh, but generally, they're, they're staying pretty close to the ground. They're not going, you know, 
we, we very rarely have uh, slug feeding or snails feeding on, you know, mature tomato plants. No. They'll delete the seedlings, but they'll, you know, once things are up and bigger, they'll know they stay close to the ground. Yes. But most of what they eat is, yeah, the dead stuff, you know, the leaves that have fallen, the, uh, the detritus on the ground, and they break it down into smaller pieces. Well, I have to think like, you know, for a snail to be able to manufacture a shell for itself, it's taken on a lot of calcium to, you know, it's not just getting oh, yeah. that out of the air sort of thing. That's all from organic matter. That's right. right? Uh, so, you know, think about how much they're eating to make that. They're making rocks <laughs> out of stuff, you know? Uh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And another one would be, uh, yeah, sow bugs, pill bugs, wood oh, lice. Yeah. You know. what, are they, what are those sow bugs? I mean, so people, could, people when I was a kid, we called them potato bugs, pill bugs, uh, sow bugs. You can Google it. And, and but you know, they're probably not potatoes. It's just something people call them here. Potato bugs is another thing. And, but it's yeah, yeah, potatoes, potato, potato, Colorado potato beetles are something very different. Totally different. And, and they will go up the plant and, and chew your tomatoes and your potatoes. Uh, so by, you don't want those. But but the. Uh, by pill yeah. bug, you mean the arthropod. Arthropod, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of legs, pretty yeah. small. You know, they might be a quarter of an inch long or, you know, you know half a centimeter in length if you're, if you're metric. And. Uh, yeah, they're the ones where if you scare them, they'll they'll roll up. They've got a, a hard shell on the outside. Yeah. So a lot of my little armadillo bugs. A lot of my viewers will say, um, you know, what do you do for pill bugs? How do you deal with them? I've never noticed them to do anything to any any of my plants. What are they they're, doing in there? They they really, if they wander up and they eat something living, it's by accident. Right. <laughs> They really are detritus feeders. Right. They really do, you know, they, they aren't going to be a problem in the garden because all they're doing is breaking down the, the, uh, the dead organic matter. Right. So they're and as many, they're, they're they, beneficial. They are as beneficial as worms in a sense. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're not, maybe not tunneling. I mean, worms do a lot mm -hmm. of tunneling work as well. A lot of your tilling right. for you, but um, so they're just, they're just all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. They never seem to, uh, proliferate there never seems to be a population explosion they're always around but you never have like an incredible explosion of them i guess it's just if if you want to see a lot of them you you find a, an old rotted log and you you know if you lift that up they like rotten wood that's true they like rotten wood and uh, i th i think there's actually symbiotic bacteria in their gut that they can digest the wood hmm yeah. Huh. So they're 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 getting the benefit out of some of the stuff that other creatures can't can't eat oh, or wow. can't get the energy out of. I see. Uh, because of you know the way their their metabolism works, so they they like the the uh, indigestibles. Yeah, rot, the indigestibles, yes. <laughs> well, that's great then. So they're I mean they're they're really a beneficial par excellence. Yeah. yeah. No threat to your yeah, plants. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff, nothing else can well, eat. And if you if you if you did see them as a problem because they're you know, under the bark in your tree, I'm sorry, that's a symptom. Your tree has got problems. Right. Your tree's dying and they're just Your tree eating. is dying. Yeah. No, <laughs> your tree is dead. It just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> they're eating the newly dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see. Okay. So that's the shredders. Now the decomposers. And a lot of these things, I'm, a lot of these organisms, I think they can do more than one thing, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, yes. yeah, because you got something called digesters. Well, all these things are digesting things. But anyway, um, so decomposers. Decomposers. They, yeah, this is the uh, the category that really, if you like, does the rotting. 
uh, and the biggest part of this would be the fungi. Right. You know, they they have the uh, the fungal mycelium that that will spread out, but those mycelium also release enzymes that will actually penetrate uh, materials and get in and and start to break down, uh, you know, bigger pieces, uh, and uh, you know render them more available to uh, to the smaller organisms. You know, so that's you know that's if you see a you know if I'm sure you've you've lifted up your mulch you know when it's been moist weather and you'll see oh okay there's web of white white hyphae yeah that's right that's the that's the fungi that are growing in there that are breaking down that mulch and getting the nutrients from that mulch right uh, some bacteria will do the same thing but they're a lot smaller right uh, bactinomycetes will do the same thing but again they're sort of intermediate in size between the fungi and the uh, the bacteria. You know, so it's uh, when we talk about the decomposers, it's it's most often the the fungi that we're talking about doing the biggest part of that work, right? And then by by decomposing something, they're they're changing its state, its structural state, so that it can yep. be more digestible by other things. Yep, yep. And really opening it up that you've got more surface area that's accessible to other other critters. Right. Yeah, I've always been amazed at wood, where you know you have this you know hard hard stuff that you can barely whittle with a knife and over time it can become sponge-like where you can literally squeeze it and water will come out yep and that was something you could have used as a club um <laughs> you know a, a few years beforehand mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a, a bulk i mean it really nothing's eating that wood yet it's just you know decomposing and that's um, to a large extent i imagine fungi doing that work yep yep um, that's exactly right but if, if you think about you know if so, you know if you ever go to the, the bush and uh you know cut wood and then pile it to make it, uh, you know, let it dry. Yeah. Stuff that's up off the ground, no rot. Yes. You know, it'll, the stuff that's on the ground and it'll just be the bottom of the log where, where, yeah. where it's touching the ground. It's doomed. It's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it stays moist there and you've got the contact where the fungi for those fungal hyphae can grow up into the wood. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's very, very much dependent on the environment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it goes to your your analogy of more uh, more living things in a teaspoon than there are people on the earth. That's right. You know that you just look at that forest floor as just some leaves and stuff, but it's just crawling with life, right? <laughs> just just waiting for an opportunity to decompose something, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? The right conditions. Everybody's hungry. <laughs> All right. So it's the decomposers, the digesters. Yeah, and that's that's where we get into the uh, the bacteria. Uh, you know they're they're actually yeah, taking it the next step down to uh, you know the simplest compounds and incorporating those materials in, into their bodies. Right. Uh, you know and and using using enzymes using uh, you know, yeah bacteria don't have don't have mouths per se they tend to take stuff that's already soluble or also release an enzyme that dissolves it and then they uh, will. Uh, absorb it that way right yeah i also i think it's also it's hard for us humans to understand these different forms of life and their life cycles because you know we think okay there's a worm and it's doing worm things and there's a bacteria and it's doing bacteria things but we're thinking like a human like it's going to do it for 90 years i mean some oh, of these no. things are you know it's, it's like <laughs> alive for like a day or two and then it's dead and then something eats it or something decomp and then that thing is alive for a you know a week and it's dead. 
sort of thing. Like yep. these things are living and dying. The rate of the death rate. The, is the rate. The rate of turnover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's hard to get a handle on you know just exactly how long an individual bacteria would uh, would survive in the soil. But then they're also yes, they have a short lifetime lifespan. They die. They also multiply. They split. Yes. But again, they split again. So they can, uh, their numbers can increase very, very quickly. You know, right. It is, it really is the, the, uh, the model for exponential growth. Yes. Uh, so we can say, well, a lot of them died, but that original line is still alive. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which one died? You know, we, we had <laughs> you know, two, four, eight, 16, you know, uh, you know, the mold numbers go way up and then, you know, 15 to the 16 die. Well, was it, is the original one still alive or is it a different one? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Another one of these, it was the grazers. Yep. And, and the grazers, cause it, it, it really is a complete ecosystem in the soil. It's not just, uh, you know, creatures in the soil breaking down the plants that have been put there. There are other critters that say, I can use what's growing on the, uh, the decomposing material as a food source. I see. Uh, you know, so we have, you know, at a microscopic or submicroscopic level, uh, we've got the, uh, the equivalents of the, uh, the coyote and the, the uh, fox and the jaguar and the lion, only in this okay. case, it's a, you know, the paramecia or the amoeba that will go along and they will, and the nematodes, and they will go along and they will, they will eat bacteria and they will eat fungi and they will eat actinomycetes. You know, they're, they're specialized, specialized predators. Right. Yes. You know, so they're going in and, and saying, I'll take advantage of that and I will use that for my purposes. Right. That's an analogy. I'll, I mean, I try, I try to simplify things on my YouTube channel, but I think like you look at the soil system and I mean, what's going on in here is that there's a whole bunch of things living in here and every one of those things, something always, something's essentially going in one end and coming out the other end. Yep. And uh, just the other day I had a, a viewer and they were talking about manure and you know, which cow manure, pig manure, chicken manure, that sort of thing. And what do you use? And, um, well, I said, um, I, uh, I, I, I've used all of those different things over, over time, but in recent years, I just mulch my garden. And, but I still have manure in my garden because the, the soil life is there. It's making, I mean, every time I add a new you know, layer of mulch, I'm basically feeding that system. Right. And there's things acting on that mulch and there's stuff going in one end, there's stuff going on the other end. Everything's killing each other and feeding on each other. And there's just a whole lot of digesting going on. And the outcome of digestion is manure. Uh, so I've got like insect and, you know, tiny animal manure, but it's all manure. Um, it's just, you know, not manure you can see in a particular way, but it's still manure, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so if a, if a paramecium goes and, uh, and uh, grazes on a bunch of bacteria and then poops out its waste, a lot, a lot of that waste is just exactly the same as livestock manure. Yeah, you just got paramecium manure. Yeah, 
<laughs> very, 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 of... very, 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 very small livestock. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's great because I didn't have to truck it in, you know, uh, <laughs> no, it's just, and it's just there. It's just waiting for more, you know, yep. just saying, please feed me, you know, give me more. Um, okay. So that's the uh, grazers. Now the hunters. Yeah. And, and the hunters are being you know, much more active. Uh, and they're more the so ones that, grazer. more so than a grazer. That that's if you like the next step up in the food chain. Right, they're eating so the, the moving things. They're eating the moving things. Right. You know, uh, and that may be the small insects. It may be the mites in the soil. Uh, you know, the springtails. Uh, it may be uh, you know another generation of or another class of nematodes. Right. You know, there there are nematodes that are actually hunters, and they will they will hunt down the. You know, they wouldn't bother with the bacteria. But a nice juicy paramecium or an amoeba—that's that's something that's uh, worth going after. Right. And wh why are why are the hunters good for this? You know, what role are they playing? It's beneficial. Yeah. Uh, again, they're they're helping cycle through nutrients. Right. You know, uh, they're again maintaining the balance. Yes. Yes. You know, you know, if you have if you have too many grazers. You know, the bacterial population will get depleted. We don't want that. Right. Yes. You know, the hunters help keep that in line. If there's, okay. if there's too many, you know, you know, so you'll, you'll get uh, ebbs and flows in, in soil life the same way, you know, it's, it's the same as the model of the, uh, the lynx and the bunny, you know. Yes. Rabbit population goes up, lynx population follows, and then they run out of bunnies and <laughs> population crashes. Yeah. Uh, same thing will happen in the soil. Okay. Okay, so they're they're sort of like the the governor in yeah, a sense, yeah. you know, keeping things. Okay, and so then the next, uh, and we got like three categories left here, just so people know this is going to end at some point. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't go on forever. Just, <laughs> we, we could we could talk for hours, but we won't. <laughs> so the next one is the fixers. What's a what's a fixers? Fixer? Yep, uh, and fixers, uh, they are are actually really neat because they take atmospheric nitrogen, which plants can't use. You have to remember. You know, 78% of the air we breathe is, is nitrogen gas, but it's pretty inert. Plants can't use it in that form. Uh, the fixers will actually take that and convert it over into ammonium in. Right. So into a form that plants can use. Which is what we want. It's what we want. Right. Um, and there's there's two different types. There There's free living fixers. Uh, some of those are the, the blue-green algae. Uh, or cyanobacteria, we call them. Uh, you know, there's other ones that are actually feeding on the uh, root exudates. You know, what the the plant roots are, are kicking out. You know, getting the sugar, the carbohydrates from there, right? Uh, and use that as fuel. Like what's on a bean or a pea plant? You know, legume. No, that's. Uh, there will be some free living nitrogen fixing bacteria on any plant root. Okay. Right. Yep. So on a wheat plant or a corn plant uh, or on rice you know if you're in, in the tropics on a rice plant really uh, yep okay um, interesting I didn't know that they don't generally provide enough to keep the plant going or to meet all of the plants needs right they some they're right. there but they you know we uh, and and maybe we just haven't taken full advantage of them uh, it it probably is more important in some of the uh, perennial systems or the forested systems 
especially if they're very, very low nutrient to start with. And that's the only place you get nutrients. Right. But that's, that's, you know, in a garden, they're there, but they don't do a whole lot. The ones that do, you know, if you like are turbocharged are the, the symbiotic nitrogen fixing okay. bacteria. And those are the ones in the nodules with the peas and the beans. Is that your next category? Symbionts? Uh, they're actually, we, we kind of cross over there because there's, okay. there's two types of symbionts. Okay. Those, yeah. So, so nitrogen so fixing bacteria, the, the symbiotic nitrogen fixing bacteria with the legumes, uh, they are forming an association with the, those legume plants. They form nodules where you've got a high concentration of those, those nitrogen fixing bacteria and the, the plant is pumping sugar in there and getting uh, ammonium back, getting nitrogen back. Right. You know, uh, and so for a bean plant or a pea plant, if it's well nodulated, you don't need to add any nitrogen fertilizer. You don't need to add any manure. It will produce its own nitrogen from the soil. Right. Which is great. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. If I ever have like bad results in a garden bed, I'll plant beans the following year. Um, Cause I think, well, that's going to work at least, you know, yeah. um, now this brings us to another topic and it's, it, you know, if you, uh, I don't recommend this to anyone, but if you go on a lot of garden groups on Facebook and you want to have arguments about something, this is a good one. Uh, Cause people seem to love their, if you want to waste a lot of time, argue with people on Facebook. Um, I, I, when I started doing this, you know, being a garden personality, I, I used to engage in this and I've, I don't know if my viewers have noticed this, but I don't show up anywhere arguing with anyone anymore because uh, I got better things to do with my life. <laughs> you know, if I see a conversation going on and I think, well, that's an odd conversation, I, mm -hmm, I might mm -hmm. come up with a video. Uh, it might inspire a video to talk about that. But anyway, one of these things that tends to come up is, is there a net effect? So you, you've got a bean, let's use the bean analogy, okay? And is there a net effect of if I've got some soil and let's say it's a little bit low in nitrogen. So I grow beans and then at the end of the season, I don't pull the beans out of the ground. I just cut the stalks off and leave them in the ground to rot. As the end of the season and going in, so let's say the following spring now, mm -hmm. you know, is that soil going to have a net gain in nitrogen because I've left the roots in the ground? So like, one of my recurring guests, yeah. Robert Pavlis, said the, the bean is producing the nitrogen it needs, and so it's going to use it all. And then I argued that well, a lot of beans, they produce beans until the frost kills them. So to, to my mind, they stop making beans before they're done making beans, which means right. there must be more, you know, some nitrogen, more nitrogen that they there. use up. Yep, yep. And I think if you cut the tops off, took the tops away, put them in a compost pile and just left the roots there. From beans or peas, probably not a big net effect. Really? There'll be some, there'll be a little bit, but not a big net effect. Uh, if you cut the tops off and left if them. You, if you cut the tops off when they're nice and green and lush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And leave them there. Shred them up and throw them back down sort of thing. Well, you don't even have to shred them up. We've got shredders that'll do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we've yeah. got we've we've got we've got the livestock that'll do that for us, so we don't have to do a lot of chopping. <laughs> that's true. If you leave them on the ground, they'll be crawling. With yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Or or the earthworms will will take all the leaves and pull them down their burrows. Mm, yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, 
because a bean plant or a pea plant, yeah, you, uh, Robert's right. They're very good at, at meeting their needs. They'll, they'll pull that up into the top part of the plant. Right. Uh, you know, in a farming perspective, we grow soybeans. And soybeans, we, we grow until they're fully mature. And we, fully mature, yeah. Like you're not picking snap soybeans; you're picking beans. For, we're picking we're picking dry beans. The plant has completed its life cycle; it is yes. mature. Yes. A soybean plant is very effective of taking all the nitrogen it's fixed <laughs> and putting it into the bean seed. I see. Yeah, yeah. So there's you know almost no net effect uh, from a soybean plant or or a, or a any dry bean. Uh, any dry bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes you know, sense. Yeah. You know, uh, if you, but if you have the green stuff, if you kill it when it's immature, then you'll have a net effect. Right. And if you have a perennial legume, so if you say, I'm going to plant clover, I'm going to plant alfalfa. Right. They're conditioned to keep fixing nitrogen. Right. They're saying, okay, we're not going to die. We're, we're not, we don't have an annual life cycle. We don't, uh, go through and, and move all of that nitrogen into a particular plant part uh, and, and stop feeding the roots, we're going to stay alive. So we keep pumping sugars down into the roots and keep right. feeding the nodules. Right. So if you, if you want a big net effect, you, you plant clover. I see. Now, yeah. could, I mean, so, okay, let's, so let, let's take that to its natural extension. If we have clover in the ground, if they're perpetually increasing the nitrogen content in the soil uh, are they going to toxify the soil with you know too much nitrogen like the way like if you had like you know have you ever watched a seen a part of a forest where uh blue heron roost right the they just oh, denude the entire area right yeah, if yeah. anyone's ever seen this you these these creepy little forests where <laughs> blue herons live everything's, everything's dead, dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that that becomes self-regulating become self-regulating. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, let's see, plants are lazy. Right. So if they've got enough nitrogen, they're going to just they're going to stop sending as much sugar to the to the nodules. I see. I see. Right. And I would imagine that once that nitrogen content was up to a certain amount, other you know field plants would be inclined to move in a little bit so yeah, yeah. things like that start start you know sort of living with the clover and it's not well yeah it. it's 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 an interesting observation uh either in a pasture field where you've got grasses and clover or or even in a lawn where somebody seeds some white clover into the lawn yeah and you'll see you know you plant the clover uh and if the the lawn hasn't been heavily fertilized the, the clover will grow, grow like gangbusters yes you know and it'll almost choke out the grass. And then the grass will take advantage of the nitrogen the clover's producing and the grass will come up and it will almost choke out the clover. Right. No. And then when the clover gets thin enough, the, gr the grass starts to die down, the clover comes back up again. So you get this alternating back and forth between right. clover and grass. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got a patch of my yard back in the backyard there where it just seemed to go bare this year and it gotten worse and worse every year. So I got a whole bunch of clover at one of these farm stores, <laughs> yeah. threw it everywhere and it's all green right now. Right. Um, so I'm hopefully, you know, 
I like clover anyway, so my yeah, hope yeah. is in a year or two, I just got a bunch of stuff there and it looks green enough and I don't really care what it is. There'll be some grass there eventually because, if, you know, you know, yeah, once yeah. that, you know, amount, once it gets to the, the situation they want, it will be there. So, mm -hmm. so that's fixers. And then there's symbionts, which we sort of Sym touched symbionts, on. Symbionts, yeah. So we touched on, we touched on the, the symbiotic legumes uh, or, you know, the nodules, which is uh, one form of symbiosis. Another one is, is the mycorrhizal fungi. Okay. Yes. And and this is a, a huge one. Lot lots and lots of chatter about mycorrhiza, and that's really fungi that the hyphae colonize the roots and return for some of the sugars from the plants. They're transferring water and they're transferring nutrients into the root. Right. Uh, so in essence, if you've got lots of mycorrhiza, you have expanded the root rooting area by tenfold. Yes. Now, those micro, uh, mycorrhizal networks, uh, they're pretty fragile. So if you go in and you work the soil, you know, if you rototill the soil, you you break up any mycorrhiza that's there. Right. You know, and then it, it has to sort of regrow from scratch. Right. Uh, if you've got a tree, you know, pine trees, oak trees, maple trees, they'll have very extensive mycorrhizal networks that expand the root system of those trees because they're there permanently. Yes. You know, uh, so in a garden that we don't do, you know, much soil disturbance, we'll have a healthy mycorrhizal community. You know, so they'll, they will actually help to feed the plants and keep going. So that's, that's one of the, one of the great things about mulching rather than, than rototilling. Right. Yes. Well, that's no. odd argument that I get sometimes people will say, and these tend to be permaculture gardeners. Um, and I consider myself, you know, at least an enthusiast in that area. Um, I, I see a certain logic to it. Um, not a disciple, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Just, you know, just, just a one more good idea then we'll see where it right. goes, but they'll say, Hey, you know, um, we don't need to do um, crop rotation because look at your perennials, you don't rotate them and they do fine. And one of the counter arguments I make is that, yes, but those things are tapped into these massive mycorrhizal networks. So, I mean, number one, the root systems of a perennial gets bigger. The root system itself gets bigger every bigger year. Bigger and bigger, yep. So the plants basically, it's finding new soil. So, I mean, it's not being rotated, but the roots are literally getting more, you know, they're just expanding. On top of that, you've got these mature mycorrhizal networks attached to those roots. So it's a different category as opposed to like planting some, you know, tropical plant that's got no business living in Canada, like <laughs> a tomato. Um, you know, I mean, it's just a different sort of situation. Um, it's, it's a different situation. It's, uh, and it actually gets into the, the last category of, of the pathogens okay. where if you're continually growing the same plant in the same place, you'll build up population of pathogens that are specific to that plant. Right. Uh, so if you're going to control plant diseases, going to a totally different species will help to mitigate that. It sort of says, okay, we'll, we'll grow tomatoes one year, we'll build up a population of tomato pathogens, we'll plant onions the next year, Tomato pathogens can't live on onions, they, so they die out. They starve. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, and doing that same thing and you know it means you have to be careful not to uh, follow your tomatoes with potatoes because yes. they're the same family the same group of pathogens eggplant and peppers eggplant and yeah yeah okay. yeah uh, so there there is always a population of pathogens i uh bacteria i, I think are uh, opportunists right uh and if there's if the, if you give them an opportunity, they will take advantage of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the other things, and and different pests as well. And different pests as well. I, yeah. I, so so if we've got yeah if we've got too simple a system, uh, you know we'll build up uh, harmful nematode populations like the root knot root lesion or the root knot nematodes. Right. Uh, or we'll 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 build up pathogenic bacteria. Right. Or we'll build up pathogenic, you know, the verticillium fungi, That's those types of things. I mean, perennials are not immune to pathogens and not immune to disease, but it's it's possible that, you know, most plants that have evolved to be perennials are probably a little bit more, you know, you think of like a lot of your, your annuals, they're you know, almost adapted to being eaten and crapped out somewhere else. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, a, uh, you know, <laughs> so... They're, yeah, yeah. they're just naturally being uh, rotated whether they like it or not because they're they're going in and they're coming out so, or the <laughs> seeds you know the seeds are, are broadcast by winds or things mm -hmm. like that so mm -hmm. that, you know it's okay i'm growing here but i'm going to next year i'm going to grow way over there where the wind took me sort of thing you know east of here <laughs> sort of thing um I, I i like to use the analogy that uh yeah, Mother Nature always wins, but she doesn't care about us at all. No, <laughs> we're not. We're not part of the equation uh, as much as we try to make ourselves part of the equation. Um, okay, so uh, the last topic, uh, there's something you, you mentioned in the, um, you know, and this is something that tends to come up a lot too when people are discussing worms. They'll say, oh, you have to have red wigglers, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, night crawlers aren't the same thing and you gotta have the right kinds of worms or your compost isn't gonna work. So in, in this chapter, you talk about worms, you say there's three different kinds of worms. So can you talk about that a little bit? Okay, okay. And the the earthworms a lot of people think about are, are the, the night crawlers. The big ones, uh, the big ones. The big ones. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a fisherman, that's what you want because it's easy to get on the hook and it looks like you've got a whole lot of bait there when you've got a a big night crawler on the hook. He used to uh, sadistically divide them up into little, you know, inch and a half long pieces. <laughs> Poor things. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. If, if you're uh, if you're frugal, if you want to get as much bait out of one worm as you can get. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those worms. Uh, I guess first thing is in North America, all the worms are introduced. Oh, really? Or at least in northern North America, in Canada. Okay, talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. What do you mean? Uh, you, you think about after the last ice age, when there was a mile of ice on top of us, there was no earthworms living in the soil. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and various ice ages have covered a lot of North America. Right. So most of our, our earthworms are, are introduced. And certainly dewworms or nightcrawlers are, are introduced. Uh, the, the neat thing about night crawlers is they form vertical burrows. They will have, you know, a whole half a centimeter across, uh, going straight up and down and, uh, you know, 
when the conditions are right, they'll come up. Uh, they'll most times anchor their anchor their butt in the top of the hole and reach out as far as they can and pull stuff back down to their hole and make a little midden on top. Right. Yep. I've seen that. Uh, seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've probably seen little piles of bean leaves. They love bean leaves. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, the. Uh, you know, and they'll, you know, that'll be a store of food for, for hard times. And it also is sort of an air conditioner for their burrow. It helps to keep things moist down there. And then if it gets too cold or it gets too dry, they just go down to the bottom of the hole and they seal themselves off in the bottom and they stay there. Right. And they'll be down, you know, three feet, four feet. That's uh, right. Oh yeah. Below the frost line. Below the yeah. frost line. Right. And, and where the soil always stays moist. Right. Which you know, is what they, they want. They, yeah, they breathe through their skin. Yes. You know, yeah, a dry worm is a dead worm. Right, their lungs are on the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, they they do a lot of activity, uh, but they're, uh, the biggest thing they do is they, they increase the permeability of the soil. Right, with the holes, you know, with the burrow. With the holes. So, you know, if you get a heavy rain, lots of places for water can go down the hole. Right. Uh, there's some forest ecologists just shudder when we talk about how good earthworms are because when we say you know they'll they'll pull all the leaves into a little pile over their midden and uh, they will do the same thing when they get established in a hardwood forest and leave the ground bare oh really and and so a lot of the uh, the spring wildflowers actually need that mulch of leaves on top to get going so right. uh, yeah they're they're not all good. <laughs> they can be that successful that they, they literally take all the leaves? Uh, enough that it, you know, limits the, uh, the multiple, you know. Mulching ability. Li li the... Limits the mulching ability. So, you know, a, a trillium may have a hard time getting going. So. Oh, really? You know, our, our you know, drifts of white trilliums in the spring might uh, become <laughs> less common. Right, so, right. Anyway, that's, that's the one, the one type that we call the anisic earthworms, the, the vertical burrowing ones. Uh, a second group actually, they they burrow horizontally, but they're mostly in the organic layer on top itself. You know, they they would be the ones that would be more common in a forest, right? Or in a mulch layer, right? Uh, they're they're really in in the organic material and uh, and not going into the soil very much. Are the red wigglers that that kind uh, of form? The red wigglers are actually a in the third group. Okay. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. Again. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be, you know, in the topsoil and burrowing horizontally and coming up to the surface, but mostly going back and forth horizontally. Okay. Uh, so the, uh, yeah, the, the night crawlers, they tend to, if you like, eat organic material directly. Right. And poop it out. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, the red wrigglers and the other worms that are are in in the soil burrowing horizontally, they will eat what's in the soil, uh, so it uh, and ingest quite a bit of soil at the same time. Right. And uh, you know, it may be bacteria they're digesting. It may be fungi. It may be uh, plant materials. It may be plant roots. They're they're sort of non-specific. Uh, and digest it and mix it up and, and poop it out the back. Oh, so they're the ones we think of as the, the rototillers. Like they're yep. the ones that's yep. why people think, um, so the red wigglers are more likely to do that. 
And I yes. think in, in, your, in your book, you were saying like of those two types that were not the nightcrawler types, um, one of them is very rarely in your garden. It's more in natural systems. Yep, yep. And that'd be the ones that are in the mulch layer on top. Right. So could you get them? Like if I went into the woods and just grabbed a bunch of, you know, oak leaves or maple leaves off the ground and, you know, sort of scooped it all up into a bucket and threw it on my garden, would I be getting some of those guys in there? You, you probably would if you got, you know, you'd want to get a little bit of the soil at the top right. to make sure you got that, that layer. After a good rain yeah. or something like that. After a good rain. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So um, why, why are red wigglers more likely to be in a garden than those those forest worms? I'm just calling them that because... <laughs> the forest, yeah, that's as good a term as any. Okay. Uh, even in a forest, those ones that are just in the mulch layer aren't going to be a large part of the population. Right. They're pretty specialized. Okay. Um, and it's, yeah. It's a smaller chunk of the ecosystem they've got to live in, so they've got less opportunity. And a lot of gardens, you don't have enough mulch there to, to keep them going. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's right. becoming more common that we're we're mulching our gardens. That there's always organic material on top. Traditionally, if it was bare ground, there's no no place for them to live. Really? So if you let that mulch go, and I've got a couple of my beds, they've gone bare. Can they hang out for like a week or so? Like. They must, they're really doomed. If they're, if you, yeah, if they're totally you bare. Yeah, yeah. If they're totally oh. bare, they're, they're, they're probably uh, not going to survive. Do they go somewhere or, or, else? Or, they, or, they, have, or they, they have done what, uh, what their colleagues do that, you know, that do burrow horizontally in the soil. They'll just find a, find a spot below the surface, curl up into a little wee ball, sort of line themselves with mucus and make like a little cyst. And hope they don't die while they're waiting for another yeah, mulch. Hope, they... it, it, hope, hope it slows down the drying out enough that they can hold, hold out until the next time conditions are favorable. What are those worms doing? I mean, so our nightcrawlers go down three, four feet. What are those ones doing in the winter? Uh, yep, yeah, they they hibernate near the surface. They can just take it. They can they can take it. Ah, uh -huh. there they'll be in that little little cyst. Now, uh -huh. a, a lot of them will die out. A lot of them will. You know, it will be the eggs that survive and then patch in the spring when conditions are right. I should ask you since I got you here, sometimes when I'm like, you know, I'm in the soil with my hands a lot. And sometimes um, in the soil, I'll find these little yellow balls. Um, they're small, but they're large enough to, to, to see, to pick up. And if you mm -hmm. squeeze it, it goes. <laughs> So it's like a hard yellow ball. It looks like a, oh, what, what, what size is it? Um, maybe a, a millimeter in diameter, a sphere. It's a, not a ball, mm -hmm. but a sphere, mm -hmm. a hard yellow sphere. Is that a worm? Is that a snail? Is, I mean, it's, a, it's an egg of something because it, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it could be an earthworm egg, although. It could be an earthworm egg, could be snails. Uh, it almost looks like a stone, but then when you squeeze, it's perfectly round. It's too round to be a stone. And when you squeeze it, it goes. Squeeze it, it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always wonder, what am I killing when I squeeze those things? I mean, it's not like I'm looking around for there's millions of them, right? But when I see them, I'm like, what's that? Push. Oh, what did I just kill? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll admit, 
I don't know my my taxonomy enough okay. to know for sure what <laughs> that right. might be. So. <laughs> okay. If anybody knows what I've uh, you know what I'm just killing out of curiosity, please. Um, uh, my guess is it's either a worm or a snail or something, you know, yep. something. But yeah, I hope I'm not killing anything particularly. I probably am killing something good. <laughs> All right, so that's our earthworms. I think you know I think that's that's pretty good. I think we've you know sort of covered everything. Um, I guess one one question I might ask is you know is it worth buying? I mean, I think my guess Robert Pavlos will say, look, if you if you create the conditions, these things just show up. Um, but is is it worth? I've had different viewers say like where they live, there's just no worms. I, I think someone, one of my viewers from California recently said like, there's no worms where I live. We have to buy them. They just won't show up like they do where you live. Um, is that uh, why would someone consider buying like a, a thousand red wigglers in a bag? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the the quote I like to use is from Field of Dreams. Okay. If you build it, they will come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most most times, you know, ninety five percent of the you know situations, there there's a small population there hanging on, and if you give them the right conditions, that that population will multiply. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. It'd have to be a pretty bad environment. I mean, you could go to Pripyat, which is the town where the Chernobyl disaster. If you go there, you'll find worms. So it'd mm -hmm. have to be a pretty bad situation for there to be no worms. You'd have to just completely destroy the soil and turn it into dust or sand or something like a desert, perhaps. Well, and and the conditions, you know, if if we're thinking about a North American audience, the conditions that would be really bad for worms uh, would be. It gets too cold in the winter, so like northern prairies, right? There's probably not a native earthworm population there because they don't survive. Right. So something else is filling that ecological niche other than earthworms. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, or it could be too dry. Right. You no. Know, you know, so so if this fellow in California was you know in the Anza Borrego Desert, well, no, they're uh, there would be no native earthworms because it's too dry for them to survive. Right. Uh, there would be no earthworms nearby that could migrate in because it's, you know, 500 miles to the next area that's uh, that's suitable for them. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. If you, you know, you're building a raised bed in a pretty arid, arid place. Yeah, and you really want to have earthworms. You, you, yeah, you would have to bring some in. They're not going to come. You've got to bring them. <laughs> You've got to bring them. <laughs> it's unlikely but, that they'll come. But that's that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, I know when I first built my garden here, I didn't, I mean, it's all just, it was, a, what do you call it, builder's loam? It's just, you know, the, <laughs> yep. the stuff that dump trucks dump to build houses on top of, just clay and rocks and stuff. And there was not a lot, I mean, there was worms around, but like if you, if you had a, a four by eight garden and you turned over the soil in half of that, you might find a worm or two. Mm -hmm. Whereas now if I jam my hand in and pull it out, there'll be a worm in my hand, right? Yeah, um, yep. just from adding all this, just building it, and they could. But there, there was worms there. I just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I I built it, and they came, and there was a surrounding. I mean, there was a worms around, but that that initial piece of land was not a great place to be. There just wasn't a lot going on. That would be an interesting tool worm. And as I added different things, and I added a lot of when I first built it, a lot of horse manure, like mm -hmm. you know, truckloads and truckloads of horse manure to get things started, which really. For anyone that's starting off with crappy soil, it's a, 
probably the cheapest shot in the arm you can come up with to you know sort of solve that it's all clay and rocks and stuff like that and you're trying to loosen things up and um it's you know it's pretty good because you can't over over manure with horse manure such a weak manure it's a good it's 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 much more difficult anyway yeah yeah it's, it's probably yeah, yep. exactly yep you you did talk a bit about though about worms you know for composting yes you know, and and vermicomposting is a is a very specialized little niche right um and the conditions in a in a vermicomposting pile may not be like they won't be the same as in a garden soil right and and for that you know you may want worms that are specifically adapted for that right uh, something that's a little you know used to a little higher temperature a little higher salts right right that can take you know, that a little that can take that i see um i would also yeah want to be careful about you know just dumping that out into the garden without right. taking you know screening the worms out right um i know i don't know a lot about them i have seen some posts about uh you know in the southern states they're getting in uh, invasions of they call it a jumping worm jumping worm yeah yeah which uh apparently is not good i don't like i say i don't know enough of the details but it's, it's an invasive species so are they do they attack other worms are they some sort of like worm worm predator or are they I'm not sure if they're a worm predator or if they just, they actually have a taste for uh, garden plants. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. That's not good at all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you probably want to stay away from that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and, and yeah, in anything, any case like that, you want to be careful, you know, am I bringing in an exotic? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's, so that's the reason for trying to, you know, as much as possible work with the native populations and build them up yeah just you know build it and see what happens and you know if you're if you're four mm -hmm. years in and you got no worms maybe you want to think about even then yeah you probably want to go to your local garden center and you know hopefully they've got something that sort of works in that area that's local or relatively local um or, or, or uh yeah or go to the bush or go to a a neighbor who's got a good garden with worms and just get a shovel full of soil. Yes, there you go. Oh, there's a simple solution. And there's a cheap <laughs> one too, which is right after yeah, my own yeah. heart. Um, all right, Keith, well, man, this has been great. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I was going to try to just bookend this year with, you know, the year of, of having Keith on. I, I'm so, I've enjoyed having you so much on the podcast. Uh, I probably might give you a call next year to do another <laughs> chapter of your book. Uh, if you've got the patience for that, it's been uh, I, I, I know my list. I'd, I'd be pleased to do that. It's been okay. a lot of fun. Okay, great. Everybody listening, uh, if you enjoy this content, if you enjoy the podcast, you want to help, uh, you know, sort of contribute in your own way. I got a sponsor of SC Seeds. They have a coupon code GAVS20. It's good to the end of 2020 if you still want to buy your seeds before the next year. I'm working on a deal with them to uh, sponsor me for 2021. New coupon code. I mean, basically the deal with the coupon code is free shipping. Even if you buy like, apple trees right so it's it's not free shipping on just anything you can't buy a rototiller and get free shipping on that but uh you know the details are in the uh yeah, description box or the show notes for this for this episode but you know certainly seeds uh, that sort of thing and, and as long as there's at least one pack of seeds and with your order you get free shipping that's good to the end of 2020 if you enjoy the show you want to help support the show they sell something you need 
just buy what you need from them. That helps support my show. Um, so uh, everyone, I hope you found this as educational as I did. If you're looking for a good book or if you've got that gardening friend you want to buy a good book for, um, Improving Your Soil, A Practical Guide to Soil Management for the Serious Home Gardener, definitely worth a read. Um, great, great Christmas present for the people who've gardened for the first time and are saying, what went wrong? That's right. Keith <laughs> Reed is a good read. Uh, so, <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this, everybody. And uh, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Keith, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. All right.